Hello everyone, I'm Lana Hall, and today we are going to be diving in to this Christianity case study, Gender, of 2018. Now, this case study definitely surrounds the topic of the LGBTQ and Christianity. So, with that being said, let's dive right into it. First up, we get asked the question, how would you respond to a friend who told you Christianity is anti-gay or Christianity is pro-gay? based on this case study. Now, according to this case study, Christianity is neither pro-gay or anti-gay as Christian churches have divergent views on sexuality. Now, we'll see many examples moving forward through this slideshow. Now, today we see churches that are against LGBTQ inclusion, such as Catholic, Orthodox, and many evangelical churches. But on the same note, we see churches that stand and support LGBTQ inclusion, like the PCUSA, ELCA, and Episcopals. Moving forward, what does this case study say about the idea that religions are internally diverse in terms of Christianity as a whole, and in terms of specific dominations or sects within Christianity. This case study proves that religions are internally diverse as opposed to uniform. There can be differences within sets and denominations as religious communities function in different social contexts. For example, this case study highlights the intense debate of where LGBTQ lies within Christianity. Now, one can really start to understand and see that internal diversity from a statement within the case study about the changes to the church policies. Now, with the delegates largely split along geographic and cultural lines. So that statement was really talking about how the votes was really down and you could see the difference in votes with that split along the geographic and the cultural lines. Now, let's look back at the previous question. To say that Christianity is pro-gay or anti-gay would represent a particular theological assertion rather than to make a factual claim that represents the tradition itself. Moving forward. Now, after watching some of the source videos, and especially the Western Jurisdiction and the Good News Organization, we're getting asked, how do these people of faith justify their divergent views? And what about their context and faith may lead them to hold these views? Now, these videos, especially from the Western Jurisdiction and the Good News Organization, show that there is, in fact, a difference in these views. Now, in explains in the Western Jurisdiction video that their decision and view was and is not based on a particular type of person, not on favoritism, and or not to create a riot or change. Nobody went into this election thinking, I'm going to go for this person. I want this much change. They wanted to really see who these individuals were and what they were bringing to the table. They were looking for someone who, in fact, loved the church as they did themselves, was deeply spiritual and very motivated, radiated faith and could be a leader who would guide them in the right direction. They were looking within and not what laid on the outside. Now, on the other hand, there were members of the church who disagreed with such a decision and view. And we see that in the Good News Organization video. 
It explains that the election of the Bishop Olivito was made to cause a schmise within the church, signal to the denomination that their bishops cannot enforce the book of discipline and cause a mass rebellion. The belief is to unite the church, but if this is not possible due to deep divergent views, then the traditionalists and pro progressive compressives should split free on their own paths. That's what they were really getting into on that good news organization side. They were really targeting towards the book of discipline and more so of the church's principles. Now, these people of faith, they may walk together with Christianity, but we can clearly see that there's definitely some differences in views, which that they definitely hold close to their chest and believe to be following the correct or righteous path of the church. Now, while church policies have remained consistent, how do we see religion changing over time in this case study? Now, we definitely can see that it's really hard to get that change going, but the process has definitely started. Uh, the change within the religion will not come easy and it will be long and rigorous process. We can definitely see that. With that being said, I do believe it is possible for change to occur as religions continue to evolve over time as opposed to being, you know, static and uh, hysterical. We see that in 1972, the Methodist General Conference stated that voted to add language to the church's law, stating the practice of homosexuality is um, incompatible with Christian teaching and that gay ministers and marriages are not allowed in there. Furthermore, in 2016, over 150 American Methodist ministers came out as gay and Karen Olivetto became the first openly gay individual to be elected bishop in the Western jurisdiction by UMC. As time goes on, more people are vocalizing change. At the UMC General Conference of 2016, there were over 100 proposed changes to the rules on sexuality presented. Even though there was no direct change, it did lead to a 482 to 405 vote for a deeper discussion exploration of the LGBTQ policies. This event definitely showed that the debate is far from over and that change will sooner or later take place. On to the next question. How do you see religion being embedded in culture in this case study? Okay, so now these religious influences are embedded in culture as opposed to the idea that they exist in isolation and they don't affect one another. Now, the debate on hand is the LGBTQ inclusion and in this case study, we can see that the religion and culture and human rights come clashing together rather than standing alone. Now, culture can be seen in expressive forms such as the arts and heritage and as ideas such as our values and our norms. How one identifies themselves and who they choose to love can be classified as cultural expression and even their human rights. Now, this can be challenged as the church policies definitely go against these ideas and refuses to recognize the LGBTQ inclusion. We can see that with all of these policies and all of the controversial debates on this. Now, let's move forward. Why might African and Asian Methodists largely vote against LGBTQ inclusion? 
well. The UMC, as well as many church policies, position against the LGBTQ inclusion. We can see a lot of that. Now, African and Asian Methodists may stand closely beside this as they could possibly have a stricter and more uniform view when it comes to the following of the church and refuse to recognize same-sex clergy and marriages. You know, and we could take this and go back to what we said previously um, in regards of the video that we were watching and when we were looking at those divergent views, how the, one of the believers that were against of the LGBTQ inclusion felt like the LGBTQ was, you know, going against the policies rather than going with them. And so maybe that stricter view can be more so playing safe with the policies and moving with the church. So, but how might the American and Methodists be so divided? What makes them different. Now, the divide between American Methodists may lie heavily on the evolution of LGBTQ rights and the constant social change occurring in society. Progressive American Methodists definitely recognize the same-sex clergy and marriages and demand a change in the church's policies as a as opposed to the conservative American Methodists that stand against LGBTQ inclusion and demand for the policies to remain as is. That's basically what we see through this whole case study. We see people fighting for the LGBTQ inclusion, and we see a lot of these Americans fighting against and fighting with. Continue. Watch the Recalling Ministries Network video above. How do the Africans in this video complicate the idea that African Methodists generally vote against LGBTQ inclusion? Now, this video definitely challenges that idea that African Methodists genuinely vote against the LGBTQ inclusion. As we can see that there are pastors and faith leaders focused on human diversity, sexual orientation, united Methodists, polity, and deepening that biblical understanding of Christ's expensive love, an expensive love that they say is being extended in many forms. Now, in this, the Reconciling Ministries Network, also known as RNN, is an organization moving towards the LGBTQ inclusion in the United Methodist Church. A few RMN pins were seen throughout the people. There was over 2,000 people attending these ceremonies every day. To add on, there was a new LGBTQ center forming and being sponsored by a reconciling church. Now we move into the conclusion. We can see that throughout history since then since 1972 all the way to 2016, 2019, we can see that there has been a call for change against these policies. And we are seeing how will these progressive and these conservative Methodists move on with this debate? Um, will their change occur or will the change just stay still and not move forward and just remain as is? The It's up to question every day. Now, this was a great case study to move forward with, and it was very interesting to learn about. Thank you for your time.